And that was something what Joe just said about the Spurs. They're going to lose. If they lose tonight, this will be the record for the most losses in a row by this franchise. Can you believe how bad they are? I mean, I, I haven't watched a lot of them this year. But when I want, because I'm curious, like I'm, I see the stat line on Wemby, and he's having a great year, and he's he is playing the way they thought he would, but they they're awful, and so when he's on the floor, they're just a little less awful, and it it's it's if you watch them, if you haven't seen them, then this means nothing to you. If you watch them, it's like the fundamentals are not there. It's like they're not dribbling. They're not. I don't know. I, I don't know. You know. You know how I feel about uh, Popovich politically, but I'm just I'm surprised to see a Popovich team that just can't play basketball. They just can't play. They they are as bad as the record would lead you to believe if you have not seen them. So anyway, um, what do you think about that? Ask you that on the JR poll. So when I was uh, reading this uh, piece from DailyMail.com about the secret immigrant building at San Antonio International Airport, uh, something interesting uh, jumped out at me. I, I had not heard this detail last week. Remember, we talked last week about how for several months, and we had Mark White on, for several months they were, and still are, housing illegal immigrants at a hangar building at the airport these are people that are going to be flown to other parts of the country. And they take them there because the the uh, immigrant shelter downtown is full. And frankly, I think they're taking them to this building because they don't want travelers in terminals A and B to see all these people, which I'll get to in a minute. So they have this secret site, and there's guards, and we're going to talk to the reporter in about 20 minutes. She says they even tried to prevent her from taking a picture uh, of it, and it's, you know, public land. But what I thought was interesting was, in the article, she says that when Mark White, the city councilman, confronted city staff, and you know, city staff really run the city. The city council people come and go so much that... By the time they learn, you know, where the men's room is, they're out of office. He says that when he confronted the staff, they told him, we always told you we were going to do this. So their argument is, we're not doing anything uh, secretive or sneaky. We We told you we might do this. But, you know, the thing about sanctuary cities and that whole mentality is that it's usually very braggy right it's very virtue signaling and i i frankly i think that if they were not deeply deeply deceitful about this this building would have been a photo op this would have been a ribbon cutting this would have been nirenberg and and uh all the all the the beautiful people would have been there so you know they're up to something when they're trying to make sure no one takes a picture, uh, when there's guards and chain link fence. and It's just we're going to talk to her about the experience of uh, going out there and covering this uh, story again in about 25 minutes. Uh, she'll be on our show. We talked about it last week, and it uh, broke open over the weekend. The president of the University of Pennsylvania, Liz McGill, has resigned 
clearly under pressure. The Penn Board of Trustees put out a statement on Saturday confirming her resignation, although she gets to keep her tenured professor position, so she will not miss a meal, but she's out as president. And then the board chairman, a guy named Scott Bach, also resigned. Uh, the board and the president of Penn took heat for their testimony last week about anti-Jewish hatred on campus and the questioning from Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. Remember, she simply asked uh, if calling for the genocide of Jews would be a violation of each school's speech code and code of conduct. And all three presidents, Penn, MIT, and Harvard, gave waffling, uh, evasive answers. And it seems to have hit McGill first, although I think there will be pressure on the other two as well, especially the president of Harvard. Uh, after the Penn president resigned, the governor of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, a Democrat, uh, said her response was unacceptable and uh, agreed with the decision for her to go. Uh, there are some big donors to Penn, like Bill Ackman, uh, who is saying the other two need to go as well. Uh, Stefanik is saying they're still going to have hearings. Somebody asked me over the weekend, did I feel bad about sort of gloating over uh, over Liz McGill. Because, after all, I'm not a cancel culture guy and wasn't this cancel culture. And the person that asked me this was asking in a friendly way, like, well, how do you differentiate or what do you think of that? And so I've been giving that some thought because I, I did gloat uh, over it and I am happy that she had to go. Um, and I don't think it could have happened to a nicer person. I, I thought her... Her, her behavior, her demeanor, as well as her answer, uh, were just toxic. Uh, they were just grotesque. Here's the thing about freedom of speech and cancel culture, okay? You can defend freedom of speech when you have it. Like, there's a group called FIRE that we've had on the show many times before. Uh, it stands for uh, freedom of uh, something, something, something. <laughs> but their their big thing is uh, basically campus speech issues. Fire is the group that had put out ratings for colleges based on their free speech and rated Harvard as the worst university in the country for free speech. And see, that's the thing about free speech. When it exists, I I defend it. And I believe in it. But when you've done away with it the way college campuses have, when you're not allowed to acknowledge basic biology, when you don't allow differing points of view or guest speakers, when it's already dead, as it is at Harvard, MIT, and Penn, and many other Ivy League schools, then that isn't the issue anymore. So if you wanted to say, shouldn't we be able to debate, for example, the conduct of the government of Israel, I would say yes. Shouldn't we be able to um, talk about the Jews in history or complain about the Jews? Yes, you should. Should you be able to say that Palestine should exist from the river to the sea, which is a call for the destruction 
of Israel and its replacement with a Palestinian state. You should be free to say that. But if you are talking about college campuses where people are not free and speech is not free, and it's because of people like Liz McGill, then I'm not going to defend her. So these are not places where there is freedom of speech and we need to rally around these presidents. These are places where there is not because of these presidents and other cowardly, weakling administrators. The worst place in America for free speech is probably your major college campus today. People get punished for stating basic facts that are beyond dispute, like 2 plus 2 is 4. These institutions are also the reason we have popular notions like uh, plagiarism is okay if you're non-white. We're going to talk about that later in the show. That's a That's a thing now. And so I don't think they deserve the mantle of or the defense of free speech. I will defend it where we still have it. I will not pretend it exists where we don't. And fire, they're good people, but they they don't realize that in championing McGill, they're championing their own adversary. This is not, she's not their ally. And they need to fight for where free speech still exists. I would support them fighting on a campus that hasn't done these things yet, but the horse left the barn on these three. By the way, did you see the uh, the mayoral runoff in Houston? It was between John Whitmire, who's been a state senator for decades, and Sheila Jackson Lee, who's been in Congress forever. And it came down to a runoff between those two. There was a big field of candidates to see who would be the next mayor of Houston because Sylvester Turner is term limited. And he absolutely demolished her. And I don't know, you know, a lot about what's going on in Houston, and I'm certainly not uh, a fan of either one of them, but she deserves this because, I mean, she's, first of all, she's office shopping. She's acting like she's, she's keeping the congressional seat, but running for mayor. She refiled today to run again for the House seat. So they're, they're trying to have it both ways, you know. Um, but she has been ridiculous about crime and judicial reform. And what I love about this Houston result is it looks like another place where the voters have tried woke and are fed up with it. So here's hoping that Whitmire is what they think he is. But um, I was glad to see her get, get uh, basically shown the door. It was not close. It was a big, big victory in the, in the runoff. And then I read this today. Have you heard this? Um, this was in Mediaite, so take this for what it's worth or take it with a grain of salt. Um, but they were reporting on uh, the Wall Street Journal poll, which says that if you match Nikki Haley up against Joe Biden, now, of course, several polls have matched Trump against Biden, DeSantis against Biden, Haley, you know, all of them. This one says she would defeat Biden by 17 points in the popular vote. And that sounds crazy. You know, like that would be a Reagan over Mondale margin. We're we're not the country that does 45 state 
landslides. I don't think. I mean, that would be epic. I think that's an outlier if it's a real poll. It's Wall Street Journal, so might be. I think it's an outlier. Like, I think somebody screwed up. Or, or let me just run this by you. Do you get the feeling, I've said this before, I've asked this question before, do you get the feeling that Nikki Haley is kind of being served up to you on a platter? Like, all the right people in all the right places, call them what you want, the elites, the upper crust, the establishment, whatever you want to call them. Do you get the feeling that everybody's kind of collapsing behind her? I mean, it it's not coincidental or random. And it's it's everything from liberal editorial pages and cable networks to now this this poll. I mean, if you were to take this literally, you would say as a Republican, if you're a Republican, you'd say, well, for crying out loud, I mean, Trump barely beats Biden. DeSantis is tied with Biden. We got to nominate Nikki Haley, 17 points. I mean, you know, you're being served a, a mythology or a um, foregone conclusion. It's got to be her. She's She's the one everybody wants. And that's a little puzzling to me. She kind of came out of nowhere. You know, she was the governor of a small state. She was ambassador to the UN under Trump, which was not a big thing. And, um, she does okay in the, in the debates. Uh, I, I almost feel like this is the Republican version of what they did with Biden in 2020. Remember there was that, that weekend right before the South Carolina primary where all the other Democrats suddenly were dropping out of the race and endorsing Biden, and Biden hadn't done to, hadn't been doing well and hadn't done well and wasn't the leader. He wasn't the leading candidate in the field. I mean, he was probably one of the best-known candidates, but not for anything good. But all of a sudden you get Warren and you get, uh, you know, Castro and you've got Harris. They're all, everybody's getting behind Joe. He was served up. It was arranged. It was an arranged marriage. And, and, and it looks to me like, I don't know who. Again, is it the Republican establishment? Is it the big money people? Is it Ronna McDaniel? I don't know. It, it, it feels like we're being served up Nikki Haley. I, I don't hate her, but I don't believe that there's this much enthusiasm. Do you? I mean, I just don't. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere. Take a look at the five and ten. It's glistening once again. With candy <laughs> Jack Riccardi on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. 210-599-5555. Don, if you can hear me, you're going to need to talk in my ear if we have any calls, okay? Just tell me in my ear because I don't have your thing that you sent me. Um, yeah, I. so we're asking you on the poll, do you believe the Spurs are this bad? It's If you haven't seen them... Trust me, they're they're this bad. And if they lose tonight, it's a franchise record uh, number of losses in a row. Um, Popovich is kind of now at the point where I don't think we can keep saying, "Yeah, but he won all those championships." I mean, they're they're an embarrassment. They can't dribble, they can't shoot, they don't play good basketball. They look bad. They're not they're not just losing to better teams. They're they've got this one guy that's. Very talented, and um, obviously everybody's excited about. But he can't, you know. There's only there's not five of him, you know. And 
they just don't look like they have any, um, I don't know, they don't look like they have any basics. I'm not one of these guys that watches sports and thinks I could do better. I know I couldn't. But I do watch sports expecting them to be exponentially better at the stuff that I do badly, you know, and they're not. What's his excuse? (laughs) He got the most phenomenal draft choice in a generation. What's his excuse? Is it is it Trump? You think Trump is hurting the Spurs? Maybe Popovich. Somebody should ask Popovich that. Is the Trump residue still holding back the Spurs? And then speaking of that, um, I don't know. Maybe I sound like a conspiracy theory guy. I look at this Wall Street Journal report that I saw in Mediaite. And frankly, when I saw it on Mediaite, my first thought was, well, Mediaite is kind of suspect. But this is the... The journal is a pretty, I mean, I use it every day. I like it. I, I think their, their polling is generally pretty reliable. They claim that if you match Haley against Biden, she wins by like Reagan landslide numbers. And I, I that's, there's no explanation for that. You know, I, I think. There is certainly some truth to the idea that not everybody is enthused about a Biden-Trump rematch. I get that. And maybe there's even some truth to the fact that she's helped herself in the debates. But you got to remember, the debates are watched mostly by people that are big-time political, you know, junkies. So Mr. and Mrs. Average Voter are not watching these debates they they may be told the next day by wherever they get their news who won the debate and i'm sure a lot of those analysts have told people if you didn't see it just know that uh, haley was great she was amazing she was going to throw her shoe at some guy and but um i don't know do you believe that she's like the the new reagan are you buying that I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll admit it. But I, I, I think, I think we're kind of being set up. 210-599-5555. Um, Mitt Romney was, speaking of set up, Mitt Romney was on, um, Meet the Press. And, um, <laughs> this was very funny. She asked, Kirsten Welker asked him if he was going to, if he was going to be endorsing one of the 2024 uh, candidates, listen to this answer from Mitt Romney, cut number three. Why haven't you endorsed a candidate yet, Senator, and do you plan to do so? Well, because if I endorse someone, it would be the kiss of death. No, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I should, I should pick, shall I, shall I endorse the person I, I like least right now? <laughs> I, I'm not going to be uh, endorsing President Trump, obviously. I've made that very clear. Um, look, Chris Christie has done a terrific job so far. I think oh, there he goes. his being Chris in death. the race has kept Donald Trump from coming to the, to the debates. Because I think Donald Trump recognized if he went to the debate with Chris Christie, Chris Christie would reveal him for what he was. And, and Trump would be badly hurt, so he stayed out. But Nikki Haley, she's rising oh, right now. Yeah. I think she's the only one that has a shot at becoming the nominee other than President Trump. It's okay, a so first shot. he says, I'm not going to name anybody because I don't want to hurt them. Ha, ha, ha. And Kirsten Welker busts a gut. And then he names them. Then he names all the names. Um, you know you know that Christie and, and uh, Nikki Haley are his people, right? They're, they're Mitt Romney kind of guys and gals 
And uh, I, I thought the part he said about Christie kept Trump away from the debate was truly delusional. Truly delusional. Hasn't Trump been in a debate with Christie before? Wasn't Christie in the field before? I think he was, right? I, in fact, I don't think... I think the only thing keeping Trump out of these debates is his lead, which isn't even really keeping him out of the debates. It simply means he doesn't have to to do it. You don't go to the grocery store when you have all your groceries. The guy's got a 40-point lead. I don't think he's afraid of Chris Christie. I mean, that's nice to think about and fantasize about, and I'm sure Chris Christie would love the sound of that, but I don't think that's what's going on here. Anyway. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Joining the show now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line is Marianne Martinez, the Texas Bureau Chief for DailyMail.com. Uh, Marianne Martinez broke the story of the secret uh, holding center at San Antonio International Airport. Welcome uh, to our show. Thank you for coming on with us this afternoon. Jack, thank you so much for having me on. What led you to go out and take a look at this place, or how did you first hear about this place? Um, I actually, uh, I cover the state of Texas for the Daily Mail, um, so I'm well aware of the fact that migrants are sleeping at every airport, basically, in the state of Texas. I see them myself when I travel. Um, So I was uh, just working on a story about migrants sleeping at the airport, and uh, you may be aware that the city of San Antonio has a dashboard where they tell you um, how many people are sleeping every night at the Migrant Resource Center on San Pedro. Um, And I was looking through the data, and I saw that they had a, a tab where they actually said that people were being housed at the airport. So I assumed that it was just people being dropped off at the airport to sleep Mm -hmm. in the waiting areas. Um, And the further that I dug, I realized that that wasn't the case at all. It was that they had this secret facility that they didn't tell anybody about, and that's where they were holding people. Mm. And um, I thought it was interesting. We had uh, City Councilman Mark White on last week, and I know you talked to him too. I thought it was interesting what you reported happened when he confronted city staff they basically told him oh well we weren't hiding it yeah i mean i they um the information that my understanding um is that this confrontation happened behind closed doors and the little notification that city council members received which was just a hey this might be happening at some point down the road that was all behind closed doors. So that was never said in a public meeting where citizens could react to it or voice mm. their opinion on it. And then even once they were told, hey, this could happen at some point, then there was never a follow-up of, hey, we're going to go ahead and actually do this. So, um, you know, that's really a, you're splitting atoms there about <laughs> whether he actually told city council members that it was happening. It's kind of odd to me. I, I'm not trying to, I, I, I know you're a reporter. I don't mean to drag you into an opinion question. It's kind of odd to me that on the one hand, when they did the migrant center uh, near downtown, that was like a ribbon cutting, big announcement, virtue signaling. Look at, look at how great we are. This is like the opposite of that. In, and when I see 
normally virtue signaling public officials doing something secretive doesn't look like they're proud of what they're doing. It looks like they would rather we didn't know about it. It makes you wonder why. Do you get the sense that the why here is because it's not a very nice, it sounds like it's not a very nice facility? You know, I'm not sure why they didn't uh, tell citizens uh, and elected officials that they were doing this. Um, I, I actually covered the city of San Antonio. I was a, re- I was a local reporter there uh, not too long ago. Um, I covered the city. So um, I, I always found that the city in the past to be very upfront um, and very, uh, you know, responsive to the media about, about requests. So um, I was myself surprised. I also cover other, again, other cities who are going through similar crises, uh, you know, regarding the border and uh, and uh, migrants, and um, I have not seen this in another city where they did some sort of housing or action with migrants, uh, regardless of how popular or not it might be, um, mm-hmm. you know, where they hid it from people. Like, they've always told, I cover El Paso, for example, uh, which, you know, has had its, its share of having to house migrants, including at the airport, which, you know, also raised a lot of eyebrows, but they didn't hide it from anybody. They came out and said, hey, we're going to do this. And so however people felt about it, you can accuse the city of being secretive about it. So, you know, I'm not, I obviously cannot speak to what their intentions are, but uh, this is not in line with how the city usually operates in terms of dealing with the media and withholding information. Uh, like I said, in the past, when, when I was a reporter in San Antonio, I found that they were always very, very reactive and, and not secretive at all. Yeah. Um, well, it's great reporting. And um, you answered one of the other questions I was going to ask you, which is to your knowledge that you haven't come across another similar arrangement, at least not so far in another city. No, um, and the other thing is, you know, I, I think, again, just because I see this in other communities across Texas, I also think it's disingenuous for um, for the city to say, well, you know, we're not paying for this. We're they are paying, I mean, they're using taxpayer money up front, so local dollars from San Antonio. They mm-hmm. do eventually get reimbursed by the federal government, but uh, again, only because I cover this in other communities across Texas, that reimbursement process, um, unless they have the money up front, Sometimes it can take up to a year. So, mm. you know, to say like, oh, well, you, you guys don't have the right to know because ultimately the federal government is paying for this. You know, that's, that's a disingenuous way to deal with taxpayer money because mm. it's basically a loan they're taking from the city of San Antonio and then later the feds reimburse them. And they, uh, you say in the article they tried to stop you from taking a picture? <laughs> yeah, that was the best part of it. Um, so this is our, you know, these are just public roads uh, near the airport. Uh, and obviously, you know, I've been a reporter for 20 plus years. And, and you know, anyone in J school knows, you know, the do's and don'ts of where you can stand in public places. Obviously, public roads, sidewalks, you have the right to be there. It's been, you know, the Supreme Court has signed off on all this. Everybody knows and cops certainly know this, too. We got there and immediately we were approached by, uh, not by San Antonio PD, it was like private security guards and they, they uh, were pretty aggressive with us telling us we could, you can't be here, you can't take photos, which is ridiculous. Of course we can take photos. Um, and 
they were tr- telling us to leave. And I said, well, sir, you know, we're, we're in a public roadway. And he, and it's the, the man that's in the article, if, you know, if, if, uh, if your listeners look up the article, he's the, he's the security guard who's pictured there. Uh, his response was, well, I don't speak to women. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some sexism thrown in with the secrecy. Well, you're, you're okay here, Marianne. We we do talk to women on this show, so you're you're fine. Um, that's quite a, that's quite an answer. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have seen that one coming. Um, but in any event, um, it's a, it's a great piece of reporting. Uh, it's a great story, and please, uh, we want to follow up with you. So hopefully, we can do that. You'll come back again sometime. But thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate your time. Right. Marianne Martinez, the Texas bureau chief for DailyMail dot com. Don't talk to women. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I just like I said, if they were, if they um, were as proud of this as they are of everything else about sanctuary cities, they'd have a big sign. They'd have uh, photo ops. They'd be telling the phot- photographers where to stand to get the best picture. So you know they don't want you to see or know about this. They, I also don't think they want the optics of people, you know, uh, sprawled all over the place in the in the gate areas at the airport. So this is basically where they're hiding these people until they put them on the planes that are taking them to the other cities, which is a whole other story when it comes to uh, Biden immigration policies. We're, we're, we're letting people into the country, and then we're moving them around so as to lessen the political impact in any one place. And, and by the way, when they complain about Abbott or DeSantis moving illegal immigrants around, just know that they've only moved a fraction the number of people that the Biden administration has moved. And frankly, with, with, uh, Abbott and DeSantis, they brag about it, right? They, they want you to know they're doing it. Biden administration's doing it in a very furtive and I think guilty looking kind of way. Gibbs, I'm preparing for some Christmas sharing. But I pause because Hang in my stocking I can hear knocking Is that you? Jack Riccardi show. We're live Monday through Friday from 4 to 7 here and then available as a full show podcast you can get at KTSA.com, the on-demand menu, or you can find the Jack Riccardi show where you get your other podcasts. 210-599-5555. We do talk to women on this show and men. And, uh, and Jim is on the radio. Jim, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Hey, Jack. How are you doing? Hey, you know, I've been Ubering for like the last six years here, and I come across a bunch of people all walks of life. I, I drop people off at the airport at 3 a.m., and, I, you know, I pick them up and things like that. But when all this went down, there was a whole bunch of white buses that used to drop these immigrants off, and you could everybody was sleeping in front of the airport, and uh, with, with their silver, uh, they look like foil blankets that they had in small pillows. And they did that for about three or four months. And then they all of a sudden they disappeared. And I was wondering, you know, what happened? And, and mm. I just asked some people and they said, oh, they're going to that hangar over there. I mean, this mm. 
it, they're hiding in plain sight. This has been going on for uh, a, a long time. It's not like it, it, it just happened. Um, I mean, if anybody knows anything, I mean, you just ask the, the, the people there at the airport. So are you, are you basically saying that I should have known this all along? Is that, is that your point? Because no. I'm, I'm sorry no, I didn't no, know it, Jim. I'm not, I'm not out there at 3 o'clock in the morning like you are. And, and, and yeah. frankly, um, I think you only know it. I think you'll agree with me on this because of what you said at the start of your call, right? Like, you wouldn't have known it if you weren't driving to the airport every day as part of your job, right? Yeah. I, so I, my I, point I, was, I mean, you can you can ding me for not knowing sooner, and I'll, I'll accept your criticism, but my point was yeah. normally politicians are proud of what they do when it comes to uh, these illegal immigrants in sanctuary cities. So it's telling that in this case they put them in an unmarked building, they put guards around to intimidate eyewitnesses. They didn't announce it, put it as a line in the budget, proclaim that they were doing it, give it a name. That that just tells you that it's not on the up and up. So I, I'm glad you knew about it months ago, and we all should have known about it months ago, and it shouldn't have taken um, what it took for this to come out into the public uh, domain. Well, but I'm, I'm sorry I didn't know sooner, Jim, and I'm glad that you did, and I appreciate your call. Uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I if it was just like I didn't know and everybody else knew, I would I would understand that. But I, I think they I think they were trying to have this both ways. I think they were trying to do it because you know all these sanctuary cities are all democratic cities, so they are trying to accommodate these disastrous Biden administration immigration policies that are horrible. If this was a Republican president, they'd be crowing and complaining and demanding to be reimbursed and, and, and calling it a travesty of, of how human beings are treated. People are sleeping under foil blankets on the sidewalk. And, but because it's, it's their own party, Nirenberg and the council and all these democratic cities are basically like aiding and abetting the cover up. And, and they hate it. And once in a while they lose their patience with it, like, like Lori Lightfoot did and Eric Adams did, and they, and they bitch about it. But the rest of the time, they, they basically enable it. And so this is one time when they're not proud of themselves and they didn't want you to know. And they're probably upset that people do. Not that it's going to change and it won't change unless things change in the election next year, but, uh, it's just very interesting to watch. How, how different they are about this versus when they, when it's intentional and it's part of the sanctuary city and look at how compassionate we are and we welcome all people. And of course, of course, when they started talking that way, it, it's, it's, I'm sure not escaped anyone's notice that the sanctuary city movement really got rolling under Trump and Trump didn't give them a lot of illegal immigrants to work with. So you could brag about how you were going to take care of everybody when everybody was a lot fewer people. Now you've basically proclaimed yourself a sanctuary and you've got a, uh, an administration that's pumping them into the country like crazy. And it, it, the numbers don't work. They're going to run out of buildings to put them in. So we're asking you on the JR poll today, are you surprised the Spurs are this bad? If they lose tonight, it's a franchise record for most consecutive defeats. And speaking of uh, most consecutive defeats, let's talk about the Republicans. 
I'm sorry. But I mean, um, do you believe this Wall Street Journal survey that says Nikki Haley would cream Joe Biden by 17 points in the popular vote, which is obviously not how we elect presidents, but if you win a 17% popular vote majority, that's a Reagan-sized landslide. It would translate to a pretty impressive margin in the Electoral College, which is how we do elect presidents. Do you believe that? I'm not running her down, but I don't believe it. Because there's two parts to this. Part one, I totally believe. I I can believe that that people have turned on Biden, that people that didn't vote for him are more energized than ever, but there's also a lot of people who did vote for him who are furious. They were sold a bill of goods. They believed the mythology that he was this benign, grandfatherly, moderate Democrat, and he has allowed, he's not spearheading it or leading it, but he has allowed the most radical and, and frankly, socialist, collectivist, communist takeover of the country we've ever seen. He is the figurehead of it. And people are not going to be okay with somebody who they were told would not rock the boat, would restore normalcy, would unite. And you, you, it's one thing if he just didn't do those things, but he did the polar opposite, or the polar opposite was done under his, you know, banner, his name. Um, so there are, I believe there are people, a lot of people, highly motivated to vote against the powers that be. But if that was true, and if that was all there was, then it wouldn't just be Nikki Haley that had that lead. It would be any of them. So beware of this poll number, because I think this is an attempt to persuade you, the more like fervent you are about ending this administration, I think this is an attempt to convince you she's your gal. You've got to get on the, on the bandwagon. You've got to get on board. Now, let's talk about somebody that is often invoked. I just invoked him, Ronald Reagan. I was just getting into politics when Reagan beat Carter in 1980. But even I could see something that, and I think everybody has seen it since, that was different about Reagan. R- Reagan didn't just win big because Carter was terrible, and he was. And people were disappointed, and they were. And promises had been made and not kept, and a a kind of presidency that had been envisioned was not playing out, just like now. But but, but here's the difference. Nikki Haley, you're no Ronald Reagan. I mean, people responded not only by voting against Carter, but their votes were for him. And I realize that's ancient history, and if you're under a certain age, I might as well be talking about... You know, James Monroe. I mean, I get that. But let's just be clear that if you're talking about a 17-point lead, you'd be talking about a candidate who had massive, like, positives, who uh, around whom was was forming a kind of, you know, uh, culture of admiration. Reagan was a guy that um, 
attracted not only Republicans, but Democrats, independents, non-political people. There was optimism, there was amiability, there was humor. And I, I, you know, none of of them have that. And I'm not saying it'll never come along again, but it's not her. So I'm, call me, call me very fishy on these numbers. I I just, you know, I just am. Um, and, And why would Trump only be ahead by a few points? With the same group of people that are giving Nikki Haley a 17-point lead? Yeah, really? Yeah? No. Uh, speaking of Trump, Jack Smith, the special counsel, says the Supreme Court needs to rule immediately, expedited ruling, on the issue of whether a former president has absolute immunity from federal prosecution. They always say, I'm not a lawyer, and that's why we have lawyers on the show sometimes, they always say that lawyers never ask a question to which they don't already know the answer. He's not asking the question in a courtroom, but he is asking the Supreme Court for an expedited ruling. I guess the way I look at this, and I would love to hear what you think, is Jack Smith must presume that the Supreme Court is going to let him go ahead, right? Like, why would he ask for this if he doesn't think it's likely he'll get it? Because if Trump has immunity, where does this all go? So my guess is that despite what you probably think about the Supreme Court, and and we tend to see it in terms of conservative, liberal, you know, the split, oh, it's a majority conservative court, and, you know, uh, the Dobbs decision and the gun decisions and stuff, this is not going to split like that. You don't, you, you can't assume any of their votes on this issue based on who appointed them or how they voted on other landmark issues. I just, I don't know. But Jack Smith's not a dummy. And if he's asking them for an expedited ruling, I think he believes he's going to get the one he wants. Uh, 210-599-5555 as we kick all this around. And Mike is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Mike, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jack. First, I want to say... Thanks very much for what you do uh, with rapping with Jack all these years. Oh, thank really, you. I, I wasn't there, but really fantastic. Um, uh, interesting take you have on uh, Nikki Haley. I watched the debate, and then I happened to catch an interview with Megyn Kelly on the on a radio, and she said that she thought Nikki Haley did the worst of any of them, and it was a mess. But I mean, in fact, uh, Ramaswamy called her out for being corrupt, about how she's become wealthy, and just I hadn't even thought about, well, yeah, they're pushing her. Uh, she's not for me, but uh, very, very interesting take you had. So, well, I mean, I like, I liked her when when Trump. I liked her as a governor. I liked her when Trump put her at the UN. I thought she did. She she had some good moments at the UN. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm not. I, I guess I'm not inalterably opposed, but I feel like at the moment the people pushing her. Are trying too hard. Yeah. Like we're supposed to, we're supposed to just drop everything and get behind her right now. And I, why would that be? Yeah, I, I agree. I I wasn't impressed uh, with what I heard from her in the debate. I mean, and, and Megan Kelly, she's like she just was she froze. Um, I mean, Ramaswamy is just calling her out about Israel and other things and her about her being corrupt. I mean, he put up a sign. 
she's corrupt. And it's yeah. just like what we see in the politicians all the time. She's one of them. Um, I wanted to also say I heard your comments on Popovich and the Spurs, and uh, I'm a Rockets fan. I'll admit that, but um, but I I hope this gets hung on him. I'm so I'm being petty as I am sometimes. I uh, and seeing what this guy is doing and yeah. the, grabbing the microphone and all this arrogance, I just. But the th- the other thing is I've heard some people on in, in the media saying, oh, they like what they're doing. Uh, that they're you, you said earlier that. Um, you know how long that you can give him credit? Yes, they won a lot of championships. They had great players, but man, this is this is not good. They're not well. It, to me, isn't this just like the Belichick thing? I mean, we now know that Belichick's yeah. not that great a coach. He he had Brady. I mean, we didn't know until he didn't have Brady anymore. But now now we know. You take away Hall of Fame players from Popovich, he doesn't look like a Hall of Fame coach anymore. No. For sure. The and, only uh, reason I can think to keep him now is that Wemby made it pretty clear that he came here for the kind of talent development that Pop apparently does, and I, I've heard that enough times to to imagine it must well, he's be true. A player, but we'll we'll see How about that. Um, you know, and even granted, they don't have superstar players around him. You said it. I mean, they had. Yeah, but they haven't won a game since like Halloween, right? I mean, they. Right. (laughs) You can't be the. Nobody can be this bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. They don't have great players around them, and and all that. But they have three wins on the year. Yeah. I mean, the Celtics win three games in a week. Yeah. Yeah, there's some really good teams. So I, 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 it does not hurt my feelings to see that. He's the coach when this is happening. Sorry, not. I, sorry. Don't feel. Don't don't that beat yourself that. up too bad about that. If you <laughs> if you feel good about it when the time comes, you you won't be the only one, Mike. But thank you for the call. Yeah. I appreciate hearing from you. I love those J I N G L E bells. Oh, those holiday J I N G L E bells. Oh, those happy J I N G L E B E double L S. I love those. Somehow I don't think Frank Sinatra ever rode in a one-horse open sleigh. I mean, I know I never have. I don't think he has either. Jack Riccardi, you can jump into the show. uh, 210-599-5555. I don't know if you saw this or not. They used to call it uh, Twitter Spaces, and now I guess it's called X Spaces. They did a, it's like a panel. It's a live, you know, live room on X. And it was uh, Elon Musk. Here's the backstory Elon Musk is letting Alex Jones back on X. And that's obviously some people like that, some people don't. I, I don't really care. But they had an event around that where it was Elon and it was all these people, Jones and Vivek was there and Mike Flynn and Matt Gates and a bunch of other people, interesting people. Didn't agree with all of them. Don't agree with all of them. But um, it made the news because I guess at one point, did you hear this, Don? Vivek left the room to take care of going to the bathroom. (laughs) Did you hear this? You're walking in lightly. 
Well, apparently you could hear him going. I didn't even, I, I saw the headline. I didn't even, I don't need to hear that. So I, apparently people Great. felt they could hear him going. So yeah. Um, but <laughs> what did it sound more, like? I, I didn't hear it. So I guess it sounded like, uh, like he was taking a leak basically, which, okay. So if that's what happened, do, did we not think that Vivek has bodily functions? I assumed he did, you know, uh, while we're on, all right. So let me just say this, uh, full disclosure, many years ago when I was hosting late nights on the KLRN auction, they would hook me up with a uh, wireless microphone because you would walk around on the floor of the auction and talk to people and talk about the stuff that was being bid on. And I would be there for a few hours, and there were periods of time that I was not on the air, and I would, numerous times I went into the bathroom and didn't realize that the mic was on the whole time. Now, it didn't go over the air, but they could hear it in the control room. I didn't even think of that because I'm not a TV guy. You know, in radio, when you leave the room where the microphone is, you leave the microphone. Television, you're wearing the microphone, and it goes with you wherever you go. So I, I will say I can't throw any stones at Vivek because there's probably some poor person at KLRN that's had to listen to me. So, you know, just saying. But anyway, I got to thinking as I was watching some of this, how incredible this is. Like, this this is the future that we were promised. This kind of technology is the future. And Elon Musk is a guy who lacks that voice. You know, there's all kinds of debates about Elon Musk, right? There are people who think he's on the spectrum. There are people that think he's evil. There are people who think he's wonderful. He's He's the right. He's the left. He's red. He's blue. He's good. He's bad. But you know what Elon Musk is? He's a guy that doesn't have that voice inside him that says you can't do that. Most people have a voice in their head that says you can't go there, you can't do that, you can't just buy Twitter, (laughs) you can't build rockets to the moon, right? Even if you dreamed big dreams, most people have a voice that says, not, not you, or nobody can do that, or you can't do that, or that's not doable. Start a car company from scratch when those companies in Detroit have been around 100 years? What are you, nuts? See, he doesn't have that voice. He just, he just does these things. They don't always work. The SpaceX rockets were, remember for a while, they were a joke. The, the first Teslas were not successful and there's still issues with them but you see more of them now than ever i'm I'm not an ev guy but i can admit i'm like counting them in parking lots i've never seen so many of them you know tesla sedans so the guy doesn't have that voice and he keeps doing things that are impressive because other people would not even try to do them does that make sense and it put me in mind, I had read a piece in City Journal. Are you, uh, you know what the Artemis program is, right? Artemis is the next big space program that NASA has cooking where we're going to go to Mars. We're going to go to the moon, and from the moon we're going to go to Mars, and it's called Artemis. So it's the new Apollo, basically. 
And the City Journal uh, piece, I'll have to post it because it was really good. It was called, do we, do we have the right stuff or, or do we still have the right stuff? And it was making the point that, and I'm fascinated by like that whole space race history, you know, with Kennedy's speech and Mercury and Gemini and Apollo and that stuff fascinates me. I love that stuff. Can't get enough of it. I'll watch every documentary. Love to read about it. When the, the first space race started, it was all hands on deck. Like the, the federal government reached out to every company, every university. There were parts of the program in all 50 states. So the, the, the intellectual elite of the time were all on board with not only the need to go to space, but the need for America to be the leader in it. Nobody could beat us to that. We couldn't let anybody get ahead of us. Not the Red Chinese, not the Soviet Union, nobody. Now, the article pointed out, when you look at the intelligentsia today, they sound like a bunch of cranks. They sound like like sort of pessimistic, crabby uh, people. Why are we spending all this money on space what about world hunger these rich people in their toys that we need a wealth tax we should be spending this money on climate change and universal health you know in other words they've gone from the we can do this and we have to be the ones that do it to nobody should do it least of all us and musk is the antidote to that musk is like a throwback i know he seems like more of a tech guy but if you think about it he really should be like in a you know in like a 19th century lithograph or something he's like the he's like the guys that wanted to build the railroad from coast to coast or build tall buildings or you know bridge mighty rivers he has that, why not us? Why shouldn't we do it? And again, not all the ideas work, but we need more of that in this country. Again, whatever you think of him, we need more of that and and less of this, well, uh, what about the climate? You know, there's like no ambition. There are no new ideas. The people that were complaining about population overpopulation 50 years ago or we're going to run out of oil 50 years ago they're still saying it so not only have they been wrong but they don't even have like a new uh thing you know this by the way is also i think part of why people don't trust science as much anymore because science used to be represented or typified by people that were doing things that when you and I, the regular people, heard about them, it sounded pretty cool, right? It sounded like New Frontier stuff, and, and uh, you know, we're going to conquer disease, and we're going to conquer new planets, and we're going to go places, and mankind is never gone. And now science just sounds like a bunch of nags. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't eat meat. Don't do that. You know, and, and, and I, no wonder people don't want to listen to them. Who could? Who could listen to them, Right. So I, that's what went through my head when I was watching Musk do this thing because he was breaking all these rules, like all these people you're not supposed to associate with and all this stuff you're not supposed to say out loud. And, and he's not, 
the cool thing about Musk is he'll do something with you. It doesn't mean he believes in you or agrees with you. He just thinks you should be in the room. He thinks everybody should be in the room. Like he's looking for, he's not looking for a reason to exclude people from X. He's saying you better have a very, very, very good reason to exclude people. It's a totally different approach from what was there before. Anyway, I just that's kind of where my head went. Thank you for being here with us live, or if you're listening to the podcast, you can do that. Uh, you can find our podcast at ktsa.com, the on-demand menu. It's a pull-down menu, and there are whole episodes of shows, and it takes a few hours from the end of a show for it to show up there. So yesterday's, or not yesterday, but Friday's show is already there, but like this show won't be there till late tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, and you can also find our full episode podcasts in other places on other platforms where you get your other favorite podcasts so yeah alex jones is back on x i'm not a a fan but elon musk is doing what he does he's he's saying why not instead of just saying no and we are living in a time of people who are deafened deafened by the no voices in their head. You can't say that. You can't do that. No one should. No one can. Don't try. Don't. And what made this country, I think, was people that didn't have that voice in their head. People, the, the people that made this country, built things, did things, were the first to things that would have seemed audacious or improbable in other cultures. Like, I I understand that there are a lot of people on the left are in love with the idea that we're no better, we're no different, we're just like everybody else. But we really aren't. And the proof of that is how many things in world history were done first, were done best, were done improbably by Americans. And for how long a period of time when other countries needed to build their tallest building or their biggest airport or their, you know, longest span bridge or solve whatever insolvable problem, they hired an American. And we, we need more of that. And that's what he is. He doesn't have that voice in his head. And the people that want to tell you, now we're just like every other country, we're no better, I think they have that voice. And I think, and, and I'll even say Trump is a little bit like this. I, Trump, Trump doesn't know that a guy that, you know, <laughs> was hosting Celebrity Apprentice isn't supposed to run for president or isn't supposed to be president. Or that if you become president, you're not supposed to question, like, why do we have NATO? He doesn't have that voice that tells you, don't go there, don't ask that, not supposed to say that. And, you know, people like that, Musk, Trump, they're not always right. I'm not, and I'm not saying they're perfect, but they're essential. 
or else we'll never get anywhere. We'll never do anything. Like, just, just to pick one thing, when Trump used to question the role or the relevancy of NATO, it made you stop and think. Trump became president in 2017. The Soviet Union was over in 1991. So that means we had like 25 years between the end of the empire that necessitated NATO and the first time we questioned why are we still in it or why are we paying for it or what what is its purpose now that is you're not supposed to do that but that's an important question and even though he was immediately scolded and shushed and told by people in both parties oh you, you that's terrible that you would question the existence of nato in fact I'm sure for a lot of people, they sat back and they thought, well, yeah, what, what, what are we doing? I mean, why are we maintaining alliances decades after their stated reason for coming together? Habit is not a good reason. Inertia is not a good reason. And it doesn't mean that you have to be in favor of abolishing it, you, you, although you could be. But I don't think it's too much to ask that if the reason for its existence went away, what's the new reason? What are we doing now? And and don't think for a minute that all the sudden enthusiasm about helping Ukraine doesn't have a little something to do with sort of elites trying to justify NATO and other foreign policy shibboleths like if you think about it, Putin only became a big concern for them after Trump. And Trump was the one that said, why do we have NATO or why do we still have NATO? So, in essence, is the whole thing with we must support Ukraine and we apparently Zelensky's coming over here tomorrow to lobby the Senate for more money because the Senate wouldn't give it to Biden, but they might give it to him apparently. Is that in part sort of a cobbled together, let's save NATO? Because you, when you hear Biden talk about supporting Ukraine and, and others supporting Ukraine, even Republicans, what they say is, well, we have to contain Putin and we have to stop him there or else it'll be a NATO problem. I hear that. They almost sound like they want it to be. Like that would... That would end any discussion of getting out of NATO or not funding NATO. So just pointing that out. 210-599-5555. I didn't see it. I've, I've watched the clip since. I wasn't watching Saturday Night Live. But Saturday Night Live's cold open was about the Elise Stefanik uh, encounter with the university presidents. I'm going to play it for you when we come back. Because they managed to take the least lampoonable part of it and make that the part they were mocking. It's just, it's really weird. And even people that normally like SNL are kind of puzzled by what they did with this. Christmas bells are ringing. Caroling, caroling, now we go. Christmas 
Christmas bells are ringing, caroling through the snow. We'll be counting down the top ten from 1973 tomorrow on our show. And um, I think, Don Cooper, I think we have Mighty John this week, don't we? Isn't he coming yes, up we this do. week? It's, all right. So. Saturday Night Live um, made a bizarre choice, um, not with the subject of their cold open, but with, I guess, the way that they thought it would be funny. So it was the moment last week when Congresswoman Elise Stefanik was grilling the presidents of Penn, MIT, and Harvard over anti-Semitism on college campuses. This is what the sketch sounded like. Cut number five. Thank you, Chairwoman. Now, I'm going to start screaming questions at these women like I'm Billy Eichner. (laughs) Anti-Semitism, yay or nay? I'm sorry, what? Yes, or no, is calling for the genocide of Jews against the Code of Conduct for Harvard. Well, it depends on the context. (gasps) What? (laughs) That can't be your answer, you pen lady. Same question, yes or no? Well, we are serious about stopping all forms of hatred, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. The second one, MIT lady, chance to steal. And keep in mind, if you don't say yes, you're going to make me look good, which is really, really hard to do. So I'll ask you straight up. Do you I, think you know, it's, just, it's just interesting because I'm old enough to remember when it was thought that women in politics needed to be we needed more of them, and we needed uh, they needed to be in the room. And I guess now we have enough women in politics that we can run down any that are Republicans. At least Stefanik is not particularly conservative um, or particularly controversial. I thought, regardless of your politics, I thought she handled the grilling of these three well, very ably. It was pretty clear last week that across the spectrum, people were disgusted with the three college presidents and their mealy-mouthed behavior. And and so you would think the obvious target of the comedy would be them, not Stefanik. Instead, SNL made them sound very reasonable and sort of henpecked and Stefanik is like somebody offer meds. I don't know. It's just kind of. I mean, it's a, obviously SNL is is a terrible shadow of what it used to be. But that was a bizarre choice. Um, it's one thing to miss the mark to try to be funny and just not quite, you know, accomplish that. But this this is like missing on purpose, or it's like it's like throwing the bowling ball the other way. You know, the pins are over there. You know. Anyway, uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five. 55. This is interesting, too. I want you to hear this. This is a an AI fake NBC News piece. Kudos to our producer, Don Cooper, for bleeping. You had a lot of work to do on this, Don. But I want to play this for you and see what you think about this. This is uh, from a Trump supporter, and it's, a, it's supposed to sound like the NBC News story. It's got an actual... NBC reporter Garrett Hake. It's supposed to sound like him reporting on the Republican debate. Take a listen to this. 
And welcome to a special edition of Meet the Press Now, coming to you live from beautiful Miami, Florida, as we count down to the third Republican presidential debate hosted by NBC News. I'm Garrett Hake, live from our NBC News debate hall spin room, where we are just hours away from five Republican candidates taking the stage. Tonight, it's arguably a game of survival, as the field faces major questions about the state of their own campaigns and the state of this race, with frontrunner Donald Trump maintaining his commanding lead and once again skipping the contest. This is Ron DeSantis, an establishment rhino that wears insoles in his boots in order to look taller, and this is Nikki Haley. Nobody really gives a shit about Nikki Haley. This guy is probably just a stagehand. Who the f invited this guy? And this guy is probably just delivering pizzas. Anyway, nobody yeah, cares about these Ramaswamy, bullshit. And before debates. that, it was Haley. And before that, it was Tim Scott. Um, so the, there was a debate. I was reading about this today. There's a debate about whether that should, um, like, do, do we have a problem? Should there be rules requiring labeling, uh, you know, legal uh, you know, cease and desist because they used NBC News. I don't know about the sort of copyright stuff or trade, not copyright, but the trademark business of using somebody's actual name and the name of a network. But I guess where I'm coming from, and I know we're at the beginning of deep fake and AI, but would anyone not know that was satire? I mean, would would that with the language in that would like I'd be more worried if they had played it straight and very subtle, and it wasn't a real report. It was this is not what Garrett Hake said. This was not an NBC piece, but it, it seems so over the top. You know, I I don't even understand the people that that claim that they believe Babylon B stories or The Onion. I don't know. I'm not that bright, and I can always tell. That's satire. It's it's over the top. It's there's always that moment when they go too far, and you're like, oh, okay, this is a joke. How are we supposed to worry that people will hear that and think that's actual reporting, or or do you disagree? Do you think, oh no, no, that's that could easily fool someone, Jack? And even the guy that made it, he's a Trump guy. He labeled it and said, you know, I don't want to get sued. Um, so this is this is the the hand wringing of the week, I guess. What are we going to do about AI? What are we going to do about deep fakes? And well, if they're that obvious, we don't have to do anything. But where I think you'll have a problem is when they're not. I mean, you you don't know when it's not that over the top, and then you really can't tell. I've told you before, I usually don't follow uh, the news closely on the weekend. I try to take a break from it. But in this day and age, you're never very far from the news. So even if you're doing, like I was doing yard work uh, and stuff on Saturday, but, you know, you still get your headlines on your phone and you get pinged. And I saw the the little news flash about the president of the University of Pennsylvania submitting her resignation. I, I was surprised that it happened that quickly, but I'm going to be even more surprised if it's only her. Uh, her name is Liz McGill, and she announced on Saturday that she was going to resign as the president of the University of Pennsylvania, a prestigious Ivy League school. Her resignation was immediately followed by the guy that announced it, Scott Bach, the chairman of the Penn Board of Trustees. These two are taking the fall for her terrible, no good, 
ridiculous answers before Congress last week about uh, speech and anti-Semitism on college campuses. And, that, and really not just speech, but but action. Because we should be able to discuss and debate controversial and unpopular ideas on college campuses and everywhere else, but we should not be harassing, intimidating, trapping Jewish students in their dorms, keeping them from getting to their kosher dining halls, intimidating and attacking physically guest speakers, uh, and calling for genocide and, um, you know, violence against Jews. That, 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 there should be clarity on that stuff. It needs to come from the top. It needs to permeate. And if you're the president of the campus and you've let it get to the point these places have gotten to, you may not be the sole author of that, but you're a good place to start. The problem with McGill's resignation is that we'll probably wind up with somebody like her, like Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, like Sheila Cornbluth, the, the president of MIT. So you, you don't really solve the problem if the culture doesn't change and the successor is, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, right? But when you think about what's happening here, it really connects with the sort of ongoing conversation about how people feel about um, science and expertise and um, intellectualism. You know, there's a lot of hand-wringing on the left that we the people, you and I, don't trust science anymore. And we've talked about this on the show, and you know why that trend is there, and it's clearly there. And people don't trust pollsters and the science of measuring public opinion anymore. And it, it, keeps, it sort of keeps spreading, right? More and more areas of expertise, more and more so-called experts, are getting less and less credence from you and me. And I think it's pretty obvious why that is. What we saw with those university presidents last week was we saw three people who were not, they were in over their head. They, they were not up to the moment. And events have overtaken them. Now, I don't know a lot about McGill, but I do know some things about Claudine Gay, who's the president of Harvard. She is a classic DEI appointee. Harvard fell all over itself, announcing that it was making a black woman the president of the most prestigious university in North America. And here is somebody who knows that's why she got the job, who knows that will protect her from a lot of things that might befall a white male or even white female administrator. And if you just sort of take refuge behind your breaking of the glass ceiling, I mean, we see it with Kamala Harris. If you can just keep reminding people that you are historic, they're not supposed to notice that you're inept. And 
moreover, and I feel for these people a little bit, a little bit. I said this about Kamala Harris the other day. I took a lot of crap for it, but all their lives, people like Kamala Harris, Claudine Gay, have been told they are exceptional. They are remarkable. They are ceiling busters. And so they don't, they really don't know that they're ordinary or mediocre. They can't believe that they failed to answer the basic, sort of obvious questions, at least Stefanik. Those weren't Jeopardy questions. Those were, those were very straightforward questions. You know what you need to say, even if you don't mean it. You can carry the tune. They didn't do it. And getting back to science, the 538 guy, Nate Silver, just did a whole think piece about how trust in science is declining. And he likened it to, you know, we're, we're losing trust in higher education, we're losing trust in the media, but we're worried about the standing of scientists. Because if people don't trust them and hold them in esteem, they won't abide by them and take warnings and guidance and whatever. And he he tried to say that the right wing and a, a theme of anti-intellectualism is what's going on here. Like we're down on intellectualism. But see, I think... That's sort of a weird case to make all by itself. Like all of a sudden one day we decided that we didn't like smart people anymore or we didn't value intelligence anymore. Like that that's sort of a hard case to make. I think it's much easier to say, well, let's trace back the events and the moments. And it wasn't just COVID, although that was a big driver of it. If you're a, an adult in, say, your 30s, 40s, 50s or older, all your life, you have heard the experts, the scientists, the intellects, tell you that we were running out of food, water, oil, coal, space overpopulation, right? Every single prediction has been wrong. This doomsday mentality of modern science, that everything's coming to an end, the planet, everything. And not just coming to an end, like maybe in 100 years, but like in, they would say, 12 years, in 10 years. Sometimes it was 8 years, then it would go back up to 12. And just the fact that the number kept changing, but also that it was so abrupt the problem is you've been hearing the 12-year thing for way more than 12 years. We've been hearing the population thing for half a century. By the way, when you look around the world, the population crisis that we actually have is not an overpopulation, it's an underpopulation. We have way too many societies and countries that are not giving birth to enough babies. And so their populations are inverting to where there will be way too many old, retired people and not nearly enough young, productive, working, supporting them people. We did that to ourselves. We've done that through birth control and 
government, various government policies about birth and abortion and disincentivizing parents. We've done that because we believed the experts that we needed to do it. And now it's created a crisis of its own. The population crisis is the opposite of the one they said we would have. In country after country, I was reading about this, Korea, Italy, Poland, Japan, even China, they're losing people so fast that they're going to have to bring people in, immigrants, just to make the basic economics work. And we are right on the cusp of it. We're not as bad as those other places, but we're getting there. And yet they told us for how many decades? All our lives. The planet is overpopulated. We can't do it. So when I look at these university presidents who lead these elite institutions from which a lot of these predictions emanate, right? I mean, the the models and the studies and the experts, a lot of them are from the Ivy League. It, It really is little wonder that people are turning on them It's not really intellectualism we're turning on. It's theirs. It's their faux brand of it. It's their um, kind of flavor of it. I don't think people, I think people still do admire those that are on the cutting edge of medical exploration or, um, you know, exploring new parts of our planet that we haven't really been to, like the depths of the ocean. You look at the TV ratings, people love Shark Week and nature programming, and these are some of the highest-rated things on television. There is still curiosity about what's out there. The, The whole, you know, going into space. What doesn't work for people are predictions and models that are consistently wrong, that never admit that they're wrong, and then that are used to control us, not exhort us, like, hey, you really should do this instead of that, but we're going to make a rule, we're going to make a ban, we're going to force you. You need to eat crickets, not meat. I mean, yeah, you're wondering why people are turning on that, really? And you're wondering why they see in these university presidents that decline and that sort of embarrassment? I mean, what I saw last week when Stefanik was asking those questions were not three smart women that were being yelled at by a a rude congresswoman. I saw three women that were not capable of rendering a human answer to a basic question. And furthermore, are clearly not capable of leading their institutions away from the anti-human, immoral, amoral behaviors and policies that say you can question the survival of Jews, but you can't question that there are only two genders, which is what it is now on college campuses, right? KTSA, Jack Riccardi, coming up, results on the JR poll. Asking you, can you believe how bad the Spurs are? They lose tonight. They will have lost a franchise record 17 games in a row. So we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, I just, to me, you can draw a straight line from these three university presidents that didn't cover themselves in glory last week to the general 
turning on or growing mistrust of the intelligentsia, the public health dictatorial tyrants, the all the people warning that you've got to eat crickets instead of meat and there won't be any more oil and we're going to do away with the coal plants and their models, their predictions, their data are terrible. Not just a little off, way off. They never admit it. They never own it. They keep doubling down on their authority. And yeah, I mean, people are turning on all that. And yeah, I mean, it's probably not ideal to have people instinctively mistrust and hate the the idea of expertise. But you, you've done that, and you keep doing it, and you keep making it worse. What what do you expect? Like, how do you expect a different outcome? I mean, you can decry it all you want, but you got to be honest about why it's happening. People have people have formed conclusions about a lot of this stuff that are perfectly logical conclusions. 210-599-5555. By the way, I love when when you're right about something, but they don't like it, they blame people like me. Oh, well, you, the right-wing talk show host. Like, th- their conception of you is that if I just say something, you'll do it or think it or, you know, they think we've got a cult going here. I mean, I, I I laugh because I find the people that communicate with me and listen to this show and call in, write in, I get a lot of emails. You're the most critical and critical thinking people I've ever met. And I can't pull any bull bleep on you. You'll call me on it. And you want to know all the time. Well, where did you get that? What's the source of that? I'm not there's no there's no cult here. Furthest thing from it. So if you've decided that Anthony Fauci's full of it, <laughs> that wasn't me. I may have pointed it out, but I'm not the one that led you to conclude that. And 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 so it's easy to find other people to blame, but the intellectuals have brought this completely on themselves. Uh, 210-599-5555. Esteban is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Good evening, sir. I think we need to separate real intellectuals and pseudo-intellectuals. One of your advertisers has credentials out his wazoo, but he can back them up with reason, action, quality of work. Yeah, he has an IQ that's off the charts, but he also has common sense and decency. I'm talking about Mark Havercorn. Most people are not... Most people like him, and most people who who deal with... People like that who can actually back it up. I can think of John Parshall when John Parshall was a guest on the YouTube podcast and he starts geeking out about damage on a Japanese vessel found several thousand feet underneath the water. He's an expert, but he backs it up with right. primary sources. And people don't mind that. People actually love it. Right, right. It's, it's uh, I'm smarter than you and I don't have to justify my actions, or I can be shown that be totally stupid like Stefanik did on these college presidents. They didn't have any reasoning capabilities on this plan. Well, you know, what's, the thing about the Stefanik moment is, I, I don't, I mean, I wasn't inside her head, but it seemed to me all they had to do was give the obvious answer. It wasn't, it wasn't a trap or a trick question. 
I think she must have suspected they wouldn't do it, but she certainly didn't make it hard for them. And that would have been a, 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 a one-hour news story that you, we would never have heard about again. All they had to do was say the obvious thing. You know, of, co- of course you can't and we won't have calls for genocide on our campus. That was all she had to say. And, you know, she did a very basic job of exposing her hypocrisy, and she didn't yeah. work too hard yeah. at it. But to your point, I think you're right. I mean, there are people that um, give their audience credit for, hey, I'm going to share something with you that I think you'll find interesting, and I'm going to show you how I know this or why I know this, or I'm going to document what I'm telling you. Like if I make a documentary, obviously you can see, versus people that just come out and, and make announcements. This is, how, this is how you have to live. This will be the future. These will be the rules. Do not question me. I am science. Uh, Esteban, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I, I saw. I didn't want to bother playing it because we're all so sick to death. There was an interview on BBC with Fauci, and this this clip went viral. So you may have seen it. But again, I he um, he's talking to this reporter, and they're uh, talking about some little chapel that he got married in. I guess they're on a college campus somewhere. And, oh, that's the church where I married my wife, he says. And she asks him, do you still go to church or do you still go to that church? And Fauci, I, this is going to sound like I'm making it up and I'm not. Fauci actually tells her, well, I don't really feel the need to go to church anymore because I have a, you know, my own sense of ethics and I, you know, I've basically he's saying I, I am church now. I mean, it's hilarious. You can't make up stuff like this. Or I guess you could, but it would be hard to. He... He gives an answer that sounds like he has outgrown God. Now, this is where you lose people. I mean, it just is. So if you wanted to um, attract and interest and captivate people, whether it was with medicine, space, the constellations, the, the, the under, undersea, um, if you wanted to get people to think, like there's a, a fantastic book that came out this year. I've talked about it a lot on the show. Uh, the guy that wrote it, Peter Zihan, it's called The End of the World is Just the Beginning. It's got a lot of science in it. It's, it's a dense book. But it's interesting because he's taking you along. He's taking you through some thought processes, and he's not telling you, these are the new rules, or this is what has to happen. It could be this, it could be that. There are different possible outcomes. He's got some humor. He's got some hum- humility. He admits he doesn't know everything, and no one knows some of the answers to these questions that he's posing. Like Esteban said, I think that is still appealing to people. In fact, I know it is. And I don't think people will ever complain that a show they listen to or watch or a person they follow is um is too smart i don't think that's a complaint but they might complain if they feel they've been insulted taken for granted uh dictated to and if you're using your background or your credentials or your degrees to try to r- rule people 
to circumvent the persuasive process and go right to the thou shalt part. People are wise to that now. It's amazing how much COVID changed that. But it wasn't just COVID. This was uh, another story that broke over the weekend. Shohei Otani, now of the Los Angeles Angels, has become the highest paid athlete in the world after signing a 10-year, $700 million plus dollar free agent contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So he will be with the Dodgers. Uh, this is the guy who... If you don't know baseball, if you're not a baseball fan, this is the two-way player. So he's a pitcher, probably a top 10, top 20 starting pitcher, and he's a slugger who hits for average. I would say like a top 5, top 10 offensive player. We've In the entire history of Major League Baseball, we've maybe seen a handful of guys like Shohei Otani. And so there's this instant debate, is this ridiculous, is this... Uh, you know, absurd. Now, I will tell you that for a while it looked like maybe my Red Sox would get him, and they could have given him anything. I would have <laughs> been okay with that. You know what I think, though, and I like Shohei Itani, so I'm, I'm biased. Somebody has to be the highest-paid athlete in the world. Why not him? I mean, yeah, I can't make any sense of the money. I don't know how, I don't know how the economics of it works. Like, I don't, I don't know how it, it, it adds up when these lucrative contracts in major league sports are, are doled out. But I also know that the people doling them out are not dummies and they're going to make this work for them too. So at the end of the day, he, he's going to be fine. They're going to be fine. And if it wasn't him, if he wasn't the highest paid athlete, it would be some other baseball player or some soccer player or some football player. You know, why not him? I mean, he is an extraordinary, uh, exceptional talent. And he gets it done. Now, if you were giving all this money to somebody because, I don't know, they were controversial or <laughs> they had a, a big, like, a big, uh, social media following, then I might raise an eyebrow, but the guy delivers, you know, like, he will help you. He will help you add several wins to the win column. You're going to win some games. You're going to be in some games. You're going to have more, you know, people in the seats. You're going to have more people, more eyeballs on your, on your, uh, you know, telecasts. It, there's no doubt that he is an investment. And there are people like that in sports. You don't even have to be a sports fan. You know that, right? The the, the top, the elite NFL quarterbacks. And position players, the you know the elite NBA players, the top scoring, headline making, marquee names. So even though you and I don't really, we can't grasp the economics of it. Or I shouldn't say you and I. Maybe you do. I I don't really grasp the economics of it. But I I'm I would believe that it works for all parties involved. 
And it's funny because people will say, and I, I not funny, but when we talk about professional sports, I usually get complaints. And one of the complaints is, well, Jack, I don't know why you talk about that stuff because regular people can't afford to go to games anymore and tickets are outrageous and it's, you know, it's priced into this. And, and, and you're right. I don't, I don't argue. I don't defend the ticket prices. I don't go. I don't go to these games. I'm a sports fan, but I'm strictly a living room sports fan. You know, I, I, I get that. But I also know that they're getting those premium prices even for teams that are way under 500, even for teams that don't have a Shohei Otani or a Patrick Mahomes or a Steph Curry or, or, or whoever. So I can decry the prices, and I can certainly attest to the fact that I won't pay them. But I'm not going to sit here and say it's ridiculous because people do. Somebody is in those seats that I didn't buy. Somebody's going to that game that I didn't go to. And they're feeling like they got a good deal. They're feeling like they had a great time. They want to see whoever they want to see. They said the same thing with Trout, Mike Trout from the Mike Trout. Angels. Yeah. You know, when he, I think he at one time was the highest paid. Well, player. and probably Mike Trout's contract is one of the reasons it was hard for the Angels to. Yes. You know, I don't think they could keep both these guys. Right. But, but again, it's funny to me because. If no one was buying the tickets, we could sit here and say, this is ridiculous. These prices are ridiculous. But like college football just had the best season for ratings and attendance it's ever had. Ever. So it's not, it's, it's okay to have your preferences, but it's not logical to conclude, well, nobody can pay these prices. Or nobody wants to see a guy get 700 million. They're going to want to see it. Believe me. Yeah, but where, where does it come to an end? At, at some point, there's got to be a max. The end will be when it doesn't work yeah. for the people yeah. writing the checks anymore. I guess so. Right? Or or buying the tickets. Because now Verlander, I think it wasn't he making a huge amount of money from the Astros, by the I way. I don't even know. You're probably no, I, right. I, I think he was I, like, I know. I, I mean, I, I couldn't name the know. other top contracts. I know, I know, like in football, I think Mahomes is currently the highest paid mm. Quarterback, I think uh, you're right. I think Trout might have been the highest-paid baseball player before Otani. I think the the world record was that uh, Ronaldo guy, the soccer guy. Like he had the world record until Otani's contract. But but my point is, um, if they can't sell it to anybody, then they've gone too far. But if they're still selling it, it is still working for them. And it's, it would sort of be like saying, well, I don't know how Mercedes stays in business with those prices on their cars, but, but they do stay in business because there are people that pay that price. It's not you and me. It's okay. 210-599-5555. Oh, and congratulations to Jaden Daniels, Louisiana State quarterback, LSU quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, my one of my surprise players to watch. I predicted before the season. I gotta gotta pat myself on the back for that one. I got a lot of things wrong. I got that one right.
Oral, powered by River City Oral Surgery. Basically, can you believe it? (laughs) Are you surprised by how bad the Spurs are? If they lose tonight, they will have set a new franchise record for consecutive defeats. I mean, it has been a minute, right? So are you surprised? 92% say no. 8% yes. New JR poll question tomorrow. We get started at 4 live or find our show anytime as a podcast at ktsa.com. You can also find the JR poll on the homepage at ktsa.com. Um, I was looking at the This Day in History thing, and um, this was the day in 1936 that King Edward VIII abdicated the throne. I'm not a big royal family buff, but that's the... Edward VIII was the the king who he succeeded George V, and then he was involved with this divorcee, this American woman, Wallace Simpson, I think was her name. I think that's right. And um, because he knew, and everyone knew, that he could not marry her, as a divorcee and a commoner, uh, he gave up the throne. Now he's no he's no saint. I mean, he, he was kind of a odd fellow, and he got mixed up with the Nazis and whatnot. But anyway, I was thinking about this today because I was thinking how different the royal family is now. Like this guy basically knew there's a rule, there's an expectation, it's bigger than me. And you look at, like, Harry and Meghan, they they have no conception of that. Like, there's no history, there's no tradition, there's no right and wrong, there's no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no, there are no, like, norms. So, I mean, if he, if he was around now, He'd be on the cover of People magazine. He'd be like the most popular royal, you know? But he had to abdicate. And by the way, really, if you think about it, his abdication is how we got Queen Elizabeth because he was succeeded by his brother who was not considered likely ever to become king. He became King George VI, and it was King George VI whose daughter... Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth. So if you don't have the abdication, you don't have George VI. You also don't have, like, the King's Speech, that movie. You don't have the great wartime leadership of George. I'm, a, I'm kind of a, I, I will say, I'm, I'm an admirer of George VI. I think he's one of the most underrated historical figures, and nobody writes about him, nobody really talks about him. The King's Speech was probably the most pop culture attention he's ever gotten, but uh, he, he was a very, very noble and capable, and sort of solid wartime leader, good counterpoint to Churchill, and uh, grasped the Cold War, grasped where Britain was going in the war and after the war. And and again, you wouldn't have had the long reign of Elizabeth. So I don't know who would have been in the line of succession, but when you think about how long Elizabeth was queen and all the stuff that she kind of hung in there and held together, there might not even be a royal tradition anymore. Had it not been for her, 
right? I mean, like, I don't know that a succession of lesser people would have kept that institution going. You you get the feeling. I don't know about you. I get the feeling like we may see that go away in our lifetime. Uh, it doesn't feel permanent, solid, and it's the people. It, it, it has a definite people problem. The tradition might be fine, but the, the people I'm not so sure about. Anyway, that's a little moment in history for today. Um, we're back live tomorrow at 4. You can get our show live at 4 on KTSA, but of course, anytime as an on-demand podcast, go to KTSA.com or wherever you like to get your other podcasts, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.